Last week in our message, we found Jesus and his followers in a, a grove of olive trees at night and a detachment of Roman soldiers and temple guards come with torches um, and weapons in order to, to forcibly arrest Jesus. And we find Jesus um, standing up and boldly identifying himself so that his, his disciples can be let go. And Peter, one of his followers, picks up a sword to try to defend Jesus from the soldiers and instead Jesus disarms Peter and he allows himself to, to be arrested, to be taken by the soldiers. And, and today we're gonna to be looking at the next episode in the story as Jesus is before a former high priest on, on trial, really a sham of a trial that didn't follow the proper protocols. It was at night, there weren't witnesses um, to, to, to be questioned. Uh, Jesus was, was struck and beaten by a, a guard and so in this, this section of the story, it really is all about Jesus being rejected. Uh, we find that, that inside uh, the home of the former high priest, that Jesus is rejected by, by God's people. And then we find that outside the home of the high priest, outside where the trial is happening, Jesus is being rejected by one of his closest followers, Peter. The story is found in John chapter 8, starting in verse 12. So the soldiers, their commanding officer, and the temple guards arrested Jesus and tied him up. First they took him to Annas, since he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest at the time. Caiaphas was the one who had told the other Jewish leaders, it is better that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did another of the disciples. That other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gate. Then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching the gate, and she let Peter in. The woman asked Peter, You're not one of that man's disciples, are you? No, he said, I am not. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. Inside, the high priest began asking Jesus about his followers and what he had been teaching them. Jesus replied, Everyone knows what I teach. I have preached regularly in the synagogue and the temple where the people gather. I have not spoken in secret. Why are you asking me this question? Ask those who heard me. They know what I said. Then one of the temple guards, standing nearby, slapped Jesus across the face. Is that the way you answer the high priest? He demanded. Jesus replied, If I said anything wrong, you must prove it. But if I'm speaking the truth, why are you beating me? Then Annas bound Jesus and sent him to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire warming himself, they asked him again, You're not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, No, I am not. But one of the household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? Again, Peter denied it, and immediately a rooster crowed. Lord, we ask that, that you would illuminate scripture for us, that, that we would hear you speaking to us, that we would know you more through this time spent in your word, that we would know you speaking to us, pastoring us, guiding us, leading us, shaping us. And we pray all this in your mighty, powerful, and matchless name, the name of Jesus. Amen.
Have you ever asked yourself why this story is included in, in the account? Um, I could see telling the, the version of the story where Jesus is rejected by the world, rejected by um, those who aren't his followers, but why include the part where Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers, denies him three times? Why tell this, this compromising story about a man who would become one of the pillars in the early church, in Jesus' church that he established? I'm amazed that there wasn't this felt need uh, to, to whitewash history, uh, to, to, um, to try to, to make Peter seem to be a, a better person than he was. Um, and I, I think that, that John, when he wrote this account, he knew that, that Christianity could withstand the whole truth being told about their leaders and that there wasn't a need to rewrite history, to put a good spin on it or to leave out um, the, the sections that, that are difficult. I think we have a, we have a tendency to be okay with uh, the whole truth being told about um, our enemies or about people that we think are, um, are not one of us. But when it comes to, to our lives, to our families, to, um, to people we consider our leaders, to our country, to our, um, our tribes, we want to, to present the best version of ourselves. We want to ignore and gloss over the, the difficult things, the, the divisive things, the, the ugly things in our stories. But what we see throughout scripture, and not just here in chapter 18, is that the Bible feels the need to tell the whole truth, um, to tell the good as well as the bad, to, uh, to describe men and women of great faith who also had um, moments and seasons of great failing as well. And I think one of the one of the other reasons that, that this story is included um, is, is not just so that we would see um, the failings of Peter, but so that we could look at our own lives and, and realize that, that our failures aren't the end either. And, and to be able to look at this story, and as we look at, at the story of Jesus, and we look at the story of Peter, at what's happening inside Annas's uh, house and what's happening outside the house, that we're able to see just how amazing Jesus is. Uh, that, that here he stood before um, his accusers and he didn't deny anything. And then we have Peter who is asked if he's one of Jesus' followers and he, he denies it all. And so when the story is included about Jesus's rejection by uh, the people of God, as well as Jesus's rejection by his followers, we're able to look at this story and see, again, just, just how amazing Jesus is. That, that he was, was concerned more for others than for himself. As we see both in the... Um, in the grove of trees, in the grove of olive trees, when he clearly identifies himself and asks for his followers to be let go. 
And then we also see when, when the high priest question him, questions him about his followers and about his teaching, that Jesus only responds by talking about his teachings. Um, he, he's letting his followers off the hook here. And so Jesus stands up, doesn't deny anything that he's being, that he's being asked about in order to protect his followers. And then we see Peter denying Jesus in order to protect himself. We have Jesus in the grove of olive trees saying, I am he, the person you're looking for, that's me. And then we have, G we have Peter saying almost identical words, but he, except that he says, I am not, when he's asked if he's one of Jesus' followers. So Jesus is saying, I am he, and Peter is saying, I am not. We see Jesus truthfully identifying himself. We see Jesus um, not resisting arrest, uh, not, not using violence against those who come at him with violence. And then we see Peter trying to use violence in the name of God's kingdom, really. We see Jesus absorbing the, the violence, the, the anger, the injustice, and we see Peter um, trying to use violence against others. We see Jesus calling out the injustice that's happening in this trial. We see Peter hiding from it. We see Jesus self-sacrificing. We see Peter trying for self-preservation. We see Jesus, again, being confronted by his critics and denying nothing. And we have Peter wilting before his questioners and denying everything. And when we look at the story, Jesus standing and Peter failing, I can't help but ask myself, what happened? What happened to Peter to get him to this point? Peter, who, who was so bold and so confident that he wouldn't ever leave Jesus. So, so how did he get here? How did he get to the point where he was picking up a sword in the name of Jesus, denying his identity and denying really everything that mattered, denying his Lord? I think it, it comes down to, to two things, an underdeveloped understanding of God in his kingdom and an overdeveloped confidence in himself. So an underdeveloped understanding of God and his kingdom, he, he felt that he knew better than Jesus. He felt that he knew better about Jesus and, and, and how God's kingdom should unfold in the world around you. And so in, in Matthew's account of Jesus' life, we get this, this little episode. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. Peter was so confident that he knew better than Jesus, he knew better than the Son of God, um, that he was willing to, to take Jesus aside and reprimand him to rebuke him. Um, but what he really showed is that he didn't have a good understanding of God and his kingdom after all, that he didn't truly understand God and his ways. He didn't understand the role of suffering, that, that God's kingdom wouldn't come through God's use of violence, but rather humanity's violence unleashed on God, and that triumph wouldn't come uh, through 
through amazing victory, but triumph would come through death. That it wouldn't come through military means, but through the disarming of evil and death and violence, through love and sacrifice and forgiveness and mercy. That a suffering servant would reign as king and not a triumphant and powerful Rambo-type leader. Peter's understanding needed to grow. His, his vision of, of God and his kingdom needed to be unfolded more in his life. And it would. Later on in his life, Peter will write a letter to the, to the early church. And he will say, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. Peter would later in life have a more clear understanding of God and his kingdom. But at this point, at this point, his life is proving that he really has an underdeveloped sense uh, of God and he needs to learn and grow. And he had an underdeveloped confidence, an overdeveloped, excuse me, confidence in himself, an overdeveloped confidence in himself. He was confident that he would follow Jesus no matter what, even if it meant his own death. In, in John chapter 13, Peter turns to Jesus and he says, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me. Follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my very life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I tell you, before the cock crows, you will have denied me three times. And so here's Peter, bold, confident, assured of himself. And he's now denied Jesus three times to protect himself. And then the rooster crows and all of Peter's bravado and confidence shatters showing that it was really only a mirage all of this time. He didn't have it all figured out. He didn't understand clearly. He didn't know himself. He had failed on his the commitments that he had made. He had had failed in his his love and affection for his Lord. He had instead of following after Jesus, he had forged his own path. And when I read Peter's story, I I have to confess I cringe a bit. I cringe because these tendencies to have an overdeveloped um, confidence in self and an underdeveloped understanding of God and his kingdom, this sounds a lot like me. Does it sound something like you too? I read and I want to, to beat up on Peter, but instead of using him as a punching bag to deflect from our own tendencies to fail, what if we stop and ask ourselves, what comes next? What comes next when we have utterly failed? What comes next when we've been so sure we were doing right, thinking right, acting right? What comes next when we feel like we know how to live and then it all comes crashing down around us? When we're confronted with our failures, when we've let ourselves down and we've let others down? when we realize we've abandoned the way of Jesus in order to forge our own path, what comes next? For a lot of us, I think the thing that comes next is, is shame and hiding. 
many of us have felt this, that, that as we're in a, a community of, of believers, when we gather to worship, when we reflect on the cross, uh, the shame of our failure is just too much and it causes us to, to hide, to avoid community, to back away um, from the one we, have, we feel we have failed, the, the very presence of Jesus with us. We, we run from community, we run from the presence of Jesus, we, um, we hide from ourselves because it's just too hard to face our own failings. And I think Jesus knows this tendency that humanity has. And so uh, that's why in a couple chapters we'll find Jesus seeking Peter out uh, with arms open wide, ready to restore him back into relationship and service. When our failure is ever before us, and we want to hide or defend or avoid, Jesus seeks us out with arms that are open wide. And so what do we do when we fail, when we realize our our ideas and our plans were wrong, when we realize we haven't understood God fully, when we've realized we've acted wrongly, do we hide in shame or do we respond to that open-armed invitation of Jesus? The, the rooster crows, and, and Peter must have, at that moment, heard the words of Jesus telling him, you're going to deny me three times. And so there's reflection that happens in Peter's life. And so I think this is, this is one of the first steps in responding to Jesus, is, is employing reflection. That we, we stop and we pause, we make time and space in our minds and in our lives to reflect on the words of Jesus, to, to, to hear the Holy Spirit speaking to us, to allow the, the Spirit of God to, uh, to search our hearts and our lives. In the message version of, of Psalm 139, it says, Investigate my life, O God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. Get a clear picture of what I am about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong. Then guide me on the road to eternal life. So how can we make space for reflection? How can we, we slow down enough so that we can reflect Um, on our lives before the Lord. Pay attention to the Holy Spirit speaking to us. I think it comes through through scripture reading, through reading scripture slowly and attentively, um, allowing the, the, the voice of Jesus to speak to us through his words. I think it can come through through journaling, uh, through reflecting on our, our day and our lives and, and our hearts and minds, through through writing. And it can happen um, through the a prayer of examine, which is a prayer that, that many, peop- many Christians throughout the ages have, have prayed. It's a, a simple five, um, five movements of a prayer where you're simply, you come to the end of your day or the end of your week and you, you pause before the Lord, becoming aware of his presence. You review your day with gratitude before the Lord, um, inviting him to, to, to bring to mind um, specific moments in your day, paying attention to our emotions during the day, trusting that God's going to speak to us through how we were feeling this past day and week, and then choosing one feature of the day to to pray before the Lord, to pray about and explore with God about, and then finally looking forward to tomorrow, 
knowing that Christ will be there protecting and providing for us. And so this, this is something, a practice that, that I found really beneficial in my own life to be able to, to stop at the end of the day, to, to be quiet and still, and to reflect on my life with the Lord, allowing Him to search me and know me. We need to be a people who boldly face the reality of our lives and not hide from ourselves and not hide from God. And so we need to be a people who will employ reflection so that we can hear Jesus speak and then embody repentance. Employ reflection and embody repentance. Peter's reflection on what Jesus spoke to him, his, his hearing the rooster crow, um, and then the days following when he was hiding out after Jesus died and before Jesus was resurrected. We don't have it spelled out for us that he prayed a prayer and confession, um, but we do get glimpses of his life later on. And we see that the life he lived later was completely different to this moment in time where he rejected Jesus. We see Peter um, facing arrest and facing death for Jesus, and he boldly stands and doesn't deny or cave. There was, there was a complete change in his life. His life showed repentance, a, a changing of paths, a, a turning away from his own way in order to follow Jesus. This requires humility, it requires courage. And part of repentance is letting go of our confidence in ourself, that we have it all right, and accepting that we have a lot still to learn about God and his ways. None of us comes to God with our lives all figured out. We, we come messy. Our lives are messy, and those of us who think that our life isn't messy are probably the messiest of us all. And the rest of our walk with Jesus is a, a slow, steady, unglamorous work of being transformed, of, of our mess being cleaned up, of, of our lives being reshaped to be like Jesus so that we can see Jesus more clearly. And as we see him more clearly, our lives become illuminated and, and we see areas of our own lives where we need uh, transformation. Where, where we need this ongoing task of discipleship, the, the constant occupation of the followers of Jesus. So we employ reflection, we embody repentance, and then we embrace restoration. The beautiful thing is that as we respond to God's work by repenting, he responds to us by restoring us. We respond to him and he responds to us. As I mentioned, in a couple weeks, we'll dive into the rest of Peter's story, the next chapter in his story, and we'll find Jesus uh, walking with Peter, restoring him back into relationship. Uh, this, is, this is the guy who, who denied Jesus three times, the guy who, who abandoned Jesus in his most difficult hour of need, and Jesus has nothing but love for him as he restores him back as one of his followers, as he restores him back in love, and as he commissions him to go care for his people. And so will we embrace restoration? We don't need to run to hide in shame. We don't need to let our, our sense of, of failings and guilt and shame keep us from a God who is so ready to respond to us with welcome, open arms. 
And so this morning, I want us to, uh, to really embody these, these three movements of, of reflection and repentance and um, embracing restoration by praying a, a prayer of confession together. And so you'll see the words come up on the screen and we're gonna pray these, these words together and then we're gonna pause in, in a time of silence so that we can reflect before the Lord, trusting that he'll, he'll be speaking to us and bringing, uh, bringing things to mind that we need to repent of, that we need to, to confess before him. And then after that moment of silence, we're going to, to embrace God's restoration in our lives. Um, through through singing a song together, and as we sing that song, I want us to um, to picture Jesus, to picture our our Lord with arms ready to welcome us back into relationship. So, will you join me as we pray these words together? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry. We humbly repent for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name, amen. When we repent, God is faithful to forgive. These words that, that John wrote in his letter, his first letter to the church, my little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Amen. I, invite you right now to, to join with us as we respond to the Lord, as we embrace his restoration in our lives and we sing this song of praise to him.